0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Africa, at the center of the world. Latitude zero, longitude zero. Planned by the Creator. Suzanne
2: for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, uh, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, G.C., Objectivist Pan-Africanism, the Total Liberation and Unification of Africa Under Scientific Totalism.
3: Thank you,
4: brother Anthony. Following brother Anthony, we now bring you brother Haiki. Welcome to Africa on the move. Uh, thanks for having me, brother, brother Africa. My name is Haiki Kamotho Mishoki, Starting with African awareness, and my whole thing is institution building. Uh, you know, one of the things I find you know extraordinary. You know, since the Citizens United ruling, uh, uh, corporations, those with deep pockets, those with lots of money have a tremendous amount of power, and the say-so of the, of the citizenry is almost nil. And it's very interesting? You know, to under, underscore this point, I recently read an article about in Arkansas, they're about to create a, a outlaw, <clears throat> a law, which states that if you call a veggie burger a veggie burger, you would be criminally, civilly liable. Now, this law implies calling a veggie burger as such as accepted advertising. And the law states, and I thought it was very interesting, that veggie burgers do not contain animal products, so, therefore, it constitutes false advertising. Now, realistically speaking, other Africa, people who seek out veggie burgers, they do so because it doesn't contain animal products. Um, <clears throat> arguing that such people are, you know, being deceived stretches their imagination, particularly when the choice to eat veggie burgers is a conscious decision to protect their health, the environment, or the preservation of animal life. Now, often these capitalists, these capitalist advocates, talk about the importance of competition, but whenever the interests of the humanity advocate for progress, it is always the interest of big business that prevails. This issue not the other was very interesting though, it begs the question, why is the citizens that have no right to know what goes into food? It seems markets in the capitalist world is more germane than democracy. And um, that is the case, but it seems to me that institutions become extremely important in terms of safeguarding any possible in terms of real democracy in society. Right now, we have got a situation where the ruling class have all the cards, and so therefore, if the mass people don't become organized in terms of institutions, then this is a conceivable way for their will to prevail. So we have to have organizations; it becomes extremely important we have organizations and institutions because without which, you know, we are serious peril. And having said that, brother Africa, I want to thank you for having me on the show.
3: Thank you, brother Haki. Next, we are going to. Brother Moses, Brother Moses,
5: welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that it's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that mouth, say, tongue is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. And
6: following
3: Brother Moses, we now bring in Brother Jabari. Brother Jabari, welcome to Africa on the move.
7: Thank you. Brother DuBois, resident researcher here looking forward to another insightful program. It's an honor and privilege to take part. Peace, everybody.
3: All right, panelists and analysts. Let's start off our first segment. If we're a listening audience, like always, you can always participate by calling in at one three two three six seven nine zero eight four one. 679 841 And you can share with us what's going on in your world and community. So we can start off right now. Well,
2: Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world in your community? Okay, uh, it's been a rather eventful past week. On July 26th, uh, marks uh, marked the 66th anniversary of the attack on the Mancada Barracks in uh, in Santiago de Cuba by the July 26th Movement, which is how it got its name. And uh and uh yesterday there was a commemoration held in New York City sponsored by the New York New Jersey Cuba Sea coalition, uh to celebrate uh uh their uh uh you know, the victory of the of the masters of the Cuban people. And uh it was very well a very well attended event and also uh, the masses of the Puerto Rican people were able to force the resignation of, uh, 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 of uh, their corrupt governor, uh, Rosello, uh from office, which was supposed to take effect uh, this Friday, August 2nd. Now, uh, uh, it, it's a start, but it's a significant one because— um, Uh, Because uh, without the charade of of an election, uh, the masses of the people of Puerto Rico organized were able to force a change in the political leadership of their uh, occupied uh, settler colony. Now, the ultimate solution is the end of settler colonialism in Puerto Rico, but it is a good sign uh, that, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, uh you know, that, that things are in motion.
3: Okay, thank you, Brother Anthony. Next, we'll go to Brother Haki. What's going on in your world in the community?
4: Yes, a couple of things, uh, Brother Africa. First, African Awareness we're doing a solidarity tour to Cuba. That trip takes place October 31st to November 6th. And as far as people to know more about this, give us a call at 804 804- 549 or earn code 202 or email us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number two, at gmail.com. And the thing, Brother Alfred, in terms of the community, one of the things, you know, this, this trade war, that's, that's one of the things that's very, very, very interesting. You know, um, there's an assumption by the media that trade wars are the means of economy. big uh, economy, particularly when the economy is in free fall. And this statement is apparently false. In fact, Casewell accelerated the decline of the economy by facing the burden on consumers to revive the economy. Case in point. American farmers have been hit hard by trade policy and as a result of able to sell their crops. Government response has been to subsidize farmers last year to the tune of twelve billion dollars. These subsidies were not sufficient so the government this year was subsidized additionally. These same farmers with additional $16 billion. result of these subsidies, by the way, which are legal under GATT and NAFTA, GATT, of course, being a general agreement on trading tariffs, NAFTA being a North American free trade agreement, are uh, illegal. The question is, you know, when we talk about, you know, these deficits, one of the things that's very interesting is that, you know, when I talk about the fact you know, who's going to make up your deficits, and the question is very clear. The answer is very clear. The consumers will actually make up that, that difference. But here's the irony, though. Uh, given the decline of wages in the society and given the fact that recently uh, the Trump White House has decided to eliminate 3 million million people from food stamps, the question is who can finance, who can actually afford to buy the food in terms of making it possible for government to gain uh, revenues? Uh, You know, and unfortunately, you know, um, you know, so when we talk about these trade wars, uh, what people don't understand is that the trade wars, these trade wars are uh, diametrically in opposition in terms of and strengthening the economy, actually what it does, it it destroys the economy. So clearly in itself that's gonna have a lot a lot of people, you know, who no who no their own are unable to actually fund uh, the government's need for revenue simply because they won't have any money to do so. And this is unfortunate. Now I do recognize Brother Africa, I think one thing have to point out, and this is very important I do point this out, that one thing there is a drive by certain um, certain elements in society which wants to see a cling or a killing off a large number of people they perceive as unproductive. And there's a recently there's a book out called The Gen- or Genetic Manipulation by F. William Endog. It's a very really good book in terms of talking about in terms of the, the, the policies, in terms of the politics behind a lot of these moves in terms of essentially ensuring poverty proliferates in society. So on the, on the one hand, we got this political reality in terms of, you know, people not having access to resources. To to, to, to buy food because of poverty. On the other extreme, we have a situation in which the government officials, despite the fact that the economy is in decline, don't want people to have access to to those uh, to to buy things which would actually improve the economy. So it's it's a bit of a paradise that exists in terms of the in terms of the economy. So I think people have to understand that first and foremost, their right to exist has to be fought for. It's not going to it's not going to unilaterally be given. You have to actually fight for it. So I think this, sort of, this, this whole point of trade rules just underscores just how precarious the situation is for so many people in the society. And we have to understand the reality is that, you know, the things that are taking place with respect to trade are very uh, deleterious or very negative toward, uh, toward actually building economy. So we have to understand that clearly.
3: Thank you, Brother Haki. next we'll call to Brother Zibari. Brother Zibari, what's going on in your world in the community?
7: Okay, I was recently reading an article entitled, DARPA Launches Social Media Platform to Accelerate Research and Development. Now, we know that DARPA is the research wing of the U.S. military, and it's very interesting in regards to them having a social media platform where they can engage in certain discussions and studies in regards to efforts that will advance the kind of initiatives they want to participate in. Mm -hmm. And this is an important development because we have to remember that originally the internet was used as a military communication tool. It wasn't the um, juggernaut that has become recently until later on. Initially, it was just used for military intelligence purposes. So it's interesting as DARPA uses this kind of measure, how they'll be able to operate in secrecy in terms of certain initiatives they're trying to put forth in terms of the individuals that they're going to use to um, help to develop those initiatives. So then we have to understand that we have access to a lot of these popular forms of media. Just as we use it for mindless entertainment, there are people that are using it for some questionable purposes that they don't want to, um, have unravel. All right, thank you, Brother
3: Shabari. Every now, I'm go with Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and community?
5: Yeah, it's just, uh, it's, uh, it was a weekend to remember, uh um I wasn't able to attend the rally, um, uh, but um the hands off Venezuela rally at twelve noon at the White House, uh sponsored by the D C Metro coalition in solidarity with the Cuban revolution. Um, also Puerto Rico definitely has has uh has a some kind of shaking going on and um it's just a question of, are they organized enough to really I mean they were able to house them I guess by popular demand and uh I guess there was a groundswell and it shook enough people to to make it make everyone uncomfortable in the position I am put it lightly. And uh, so I just I just don't know if they're organized enough to actually carry out a revolution and gain their independence, etc. Uh that's that's the real need there in Puerto Rico. Uh it's still a cowardly and uh and it's it's to late in the evening. Anyway, um I don't know. I'll leave it right there. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Brother Moses. To our listening audience, this is Africa on the Moon. We're discussing what's going on in your world, community. If you have something to say, please feel free to call in at one What we do right now, we're going to pause for the calls, and when we come back, we will continue the discussion on what's going on in our world and the community. And If you hear any static on this particular program for right now, it's something that happens periodically on this program that we can't control, but we're gonna struggle through it. So continue to stay with us and be patient. Like Brother Malcolm said, if you're not doing it, if the enemy not doing anything against you, then you must not be doing anything worthwhile. So we will continue this dialogue. What's going on in our community and the world? Panelists, I would just like for y'all to respond to this scenario. In terms of lack of accountability, recently, uh, this past week or so, there, there were many announcements. But I recall one announcement that was made to the general public is that there was a certain brand of bread that was produced. And say it had pieces of glass in it. And then there water that people have been drinking. And say, in there, some of this bottled water is plastic. Now they're making all these announcements that is very, very can be it is a health hazard to human development, but there have never been no kind of response in terms of holding companies and corporations corporate for these kind of violations in terms of um, having found products put in the in food products that people eat, and no telling what kind of um, damages or things that have been triggered in the human body as a result of eating these kind of foods, whether you're drinking water with plastic in it or eating bread that has glass. What do you make of this lack of accountability, as very little said, as relates to these kind of dangerous public announcements, Brother High King?
4: Well, well, brother Africa, I'm not, I'm not surprised whatsoever. Uh, not, not when I order. I mean, whole thing is that one of the things I think we have to been saying, you know, this neoliberalism uh, that exists in society, which says that you know business at all costs, is, is precisely what they mean. That's precisely what it is, is business at all costs. And so therefore, the interest of the business business community is more important than any any concerns in terms of impact negative impacts on human beings. In other words, when you talk in the context of capitalism, you talk about markets, what they're saying is that the, the wealth is ability to make money is more important than any kind of damage that may occur. Uh, one of the things, you know, Brother Africa, you know, this question in terms of plastic in the water has been, around well, for a long, long time. A lot of people don't realize when they put that plastic in the in the refrigerator and freeze it, you they think you are doing a very good thing. But then understanding that in the process, you know, what happens is a lot of that, uh, that, that uh, Plastic somehow impacts the water, and so what happened is that over the last five years, there has been an increase in terms of people, exposure in terms of plastic being, you know, being uh, uh, observed inside of people's bodies. In terms of, you know, scientific tests on human beings. So this, this question in terms of, you know, uh, accountability, there is no accountability but Africa. This is a quintessential problem. Because business can do whatever it does as long as the bottom line is about, about making money, as long as the bottom line is all about the bottom line, then the, Im- the impact on human beings is, is really not, it's, it's unimportant. It's really unimportant. And this is the fundamental problem that human beings are confronted with in terms of capital society. Because the whole set of disruption, not just in terms of, destruction on on the human level, the destruction of the planet, is very much part of this whole capitalist ethos in terms of, you know, uh, business as usual. And so, therefore, one of the things, if people don't become organized and understand the inherent threat not only to their lives, but to, to, to the threat to the planet, then this kind of practice is not going anywhere. In fact, neoliberalism ensures that this kind of philosophy continues unabated. And so, therefore, we got a lot of work ahead of us in terms of understanding the real world that we face, you know, as, as human beings, in, you know, in the society, simply because those individuals who control the society position is that we have a fundamental right to make money at all costs, even that being your life. So we got some real problems with human beings have to get together to work this out. So it's always going to stop.
3: Brother Anthony, your response to this lack of accountability as it relates to farm products constantly are being announced, and food products and water cetera.
2: well it's uh it's a serious health problem. Uh, glass uh, you know uh, uh, food contaminated with glass uh, bread or, or or anything else can cause serious damage to the uh, uh, to, uh, to a person's intestines and so there's a ve- very dangerous situation. And uh, and uh, you know the use of uh, plastic, uh, you know, uh, 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 plastic gets into water. Uh, plastic can uh, can uh, can can decompose, especially if the water is acidic, uh, to some very very dangerous, uh, you know, uh, organic chemicals. Uh, which can uh, react with various uh, chemicals in the human body, again causing a threat, a serious threat to human health. But in a system like capitalism, where human beings aren't a priority but profit is, uh, it doesn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, there is very little concern. And the only way to uh, to prevent that is for the people to get organized and uh, and uh, create a system where human life is a priority.
3: And brother Zabari, you know, recently I thought something really interesting in terms of there was a report that came out of the state of Pennsylvania where uh, high school students was lacking in terms of not being able to pay for their lunch and anyone who would be behind in a lunch bill.
6: Um, they had
3: some administrators talking about charging the parents for child abuse and taking the children away from their parents because they could not afford to pay their lunch at school. What's, what's happening in that school system in danger What you would you make up that scenario?
7: Well, first and foremost, we got to understand that there's a problem when they're trying to criminalize the children, not looking at the conditions in regards to why these lunch fees weren't paid. And another wrinkle to what you mentioned, Brother Africa, is that there was um, a guy who was um, part of a corporation that had to um, find the resources to take care of these bills, and when he offered his services, the school district said, no, we would not accept it. The parents have the ability to afford the school fees. Now, regardless of whether the parents had the amount, that's arbitrary. The question you have to ask, if this gentleman agreed to be able to take care of the fees, what should it matter long as the issue is rectified and we can move on? But there's also another wrinkle that has to be thrown in it because now the school district has come up with a mechanism where all the students are going to get a free lunch. Hmm. So it's very interesting. In the course of this going on, they make a PR move of this magnitude. To go from the controversy over calling child protection services to now all students are going to be offered a free lunch.
3: Wow, Brother Moses, you response to that scenario as well?
5: Yeah, uh, I've, I've read about that uh, situation. I'm trying to get more and more information as I can. Uh, yeah, this this. You know, I mean uh, if you're poor, you know, in the in the US of A you gotta have a money in this van of milk and honey as they say. And uh and you know, the the threat the threats of uh some kind of uh, discipline because you don't have enough money at a given period in time to pay your your share of the child's lunch program or something. But I guess the finally, I mean, the fact that they can go went with the free lunch, I mean finally it should be on the state and um and uh I guess, you know, they're gonna pay for it in taxes anyway, you know, if they and so uh uh it makes sense uh uh that they did the free free lunch program. Thank you. Well,
7: uh, can I add something else please? My
3: children.
7: Something else we have to consider, too, when you look at um, these school systems under the capitalist system, it's amazing the contradictions you find, especially when it comes to budgeting, because if for some reason there's a budget shortfall, you always hear about, oh, we're going to reduce certain classes or reduce certain teachers. But oftentimes we find out that the administrators were ill-equipped and ill-prepared in terms of creating certain conditions, but you never hear people saying we need to start the top and wonder what they're doing in terms of how they mismanage the schools in terms of certain decisions made. So it's very interesting in terms of this whole concept of hierarchy and who's going to be blamed in terms of the problem. When oftentimes those that are blamed for the problem, those that do the biggest difference of... Um, helping to fix the problem, but unfortunately, because of the stance they take, they're often victimized. So that's what we got to think about, because I've seen that, unfortunately, as a universal trend in terms of U.S. education, especially in the public sector. But you well, well made,
3: brother,
4: yeah, but but you know, brother Yeah, But you know, Brother Africa, the, the, the problem is that, you know, when you talk about these military expenditures, you talk about $2, three trillion dollars a year for military expenditures, there's no money in terms of the populace. So those kind of uh, uh, programs that it, or, or, or job opportunities that are need of resources in terms of not only for expansion but to create them in the first place are something not there, which means that you got this ever-increasing number of people who are, in fact, impoverished, which means that things as simple as being able to afford a child's lunch is out of the reach of a lot of people in society. And That is something that nobody wants to deal with. But, but you know, one of the things, you know, when we talk about the so-called Republican Democratic Parties, uh, not well, not one way I would talk about the terms of large military expenditures and the extent that the military expenditures are undermining the economy. So early, you know, when I talk about the fact, you know that, uh, you know, um, you know, when you, when, you, when you talk about these military expenditures and you talk about uh, the best way to stimulate the economy, clearly, military expenditures does nothing in terms of stimulating the economy. It's a it's a, it's a drag on the economy. It pulls the economy down. The question is why are politicians saying, listen. We can no longer afford to continue to spend the stuff on military weaponry. We have to use the remaining resources that we have in terms of actually stimulating the economy. Why don't we do that? Well they don't? Because it's all about neoliberalism. It's all about, it's all about the powerful in terms of pursuit of their interest. Their interest has nothing to do in terms of what's in the best interest of the citizenry. Their interest is termed hegemony. They want absolute control and power over the world. You know, the irony is that, you know, one of the things that, no matter how hard they try in terms of maximizing their control of the world, increasingly, even Europe, is getting to a point where they haven't enough of these neoliberal policies to begin to understand that these policies are, 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 are disadvantageous to the interests of their people. They can't feed, house, and shelter their people simply because they're spending large sums of money in terms of war to fight imperialist wars all over the world. They realize it's not sustainable, and they're trying to gradually back away from the United States. And the U.S. response is, you know, to put more pressure on Europe in terms of to capitulate to do exactly what the United States wants to do. Now, only in the U.S., where there is no real pressure in terms of highlighting, you know, the real irony when we talk about all this military expenditures, and then we talk about a situation where people don't have access to, to for money for their children to have food at school. Obviously, when you talk about people that have access to food in schools, then it impacts on a kid's ability to learn. So clearly if in fact those are positions of power in America were concerned about the future of America, then one of the things the first things they would do is make damn sure that the kids were empowered, that the children at the very minimum have food so they have energy in terms of actually to think. But the mere fact that they're not concerned about the interests of children speaks values in terms of their real motivation, which has nothing at all to do in terms of what's the best interest of the country or the best interest of the citizenry. It's all about what's in the best interest of the, of the, of the root capitalist class, and that's all it's all about. And so until we understand that fundamental reality, we'll continue our situation with kids in the society going to school hungry in the most rich so-called richest country in the world uh, 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 have a situation where kids don't have access to food in, in schools. So clearly, it's, it's a problem. It's a problem, Brother Africa. But it's quite impossible the way capitalism works, and we have to re- we have to deal with that.
3: You know, panelists, and I want you to take the lead in this one, Brother Anthony. I recently came to a uh, or I went to a workshop this past weekend, and one of the items they had on. On the agenda for discussion is something that I'm very concerned with because one of the things that the enemy does is to constantly create confusion to try to distort things, confuse our people, and continue to take us off the course, of the path, off the path for liberation. Panelists and brothers, after they were discussing some concept called black racism. Can y'all speak to y'all understanding of what is black racism? Or is there such a thing called black racism?
2: Brother Anthony. Sure. Um black racism uh is um is another term for reverse racism. Which is impossible. which is impossible to exist in US society mainly because Africans do not have the power as a group to oppress another people based upon their personal feelings about them. You can hate uh, or dislike other people because of their nationality, but that in and of itself does not constitute racism. Racism is a a form of oppression. In other words, it it implies the existence of a certain power, the power to to deprive people of their ability to live as human beings based upon that hatred. Africans as a group do not have never had that kind of power inside the U.S., and don't to this day. Now, there are, that there can be cases where Africans, uh, you know, individual Africans hate Europeans or hate uh, Asians or any other African group for various sets of reasons. But they cannot, you know, uh, they, are, they do not have the power to, to, to deprive those people of the ability to function ha- uh, as human beings in society. And racism is, uh, it, 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 there's more to racism than than emotion. It is a certain type of political power. And I, w- and I would contend that Africans, uh, you know, because of the circumstances that we were brought into this country, and our disorganization, we do not have that kind of power.
3: Okay, Brother Haki, how you view the so-called yeah. concept of black racism?
4: Yeah, well, this, this, whole, this, whole, this whole concept of black racism is a, is a, is a red herring. It doesn't really exist. Uh, you know, as, as Brother Anthony alluded to, not only are we talking about it being systemic, but actually we're talking about uh, being in the position. You know, to impact every aspect of a of a, of a of a group's life. African people certainly don't have that kind of power in America in terms of actually being able to do that. Even if African people do have the kind of power, I mean, I seriously doubt if African people would actually cons- to conspire to work together to deny other human beings their right in terms of their humanity. But 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 I think the whole question in terms of when we start talking about this black racism is all it's all about muddling the waters. It's like get people distracted from reality in terms of what's happening. So if you can convince people that black racism is a fact of life, then you can simply, you can just to step away from saying that the reason why, but the reason why African uh, people are uh, suffering in society is because they practice, you know, because they practice racism, and so therefore other people respond in kind to, to the black racism. So it's a tactic employed by those who power to to sort of money the water, so it's confusing people for what racism really is racism is very much systemic, you know, it's not an individual thing. To the extent uh, that, that, that African people can practice racism, conceivably, possibly, maybe, maybe in the context of maybe a prison system, most of the inmates have to be African people. And so therefore, in that sense, when you got a system in place in which is controlled by, you know, which is, which is uh, informally, at least the system informally that exists is controlled by Africans in need to enforce their will on those you know who are, who happen maybe the minority. In that context, I could see in terms of maybe you know black racism being a legitimate concern. But in terms of society generally, there is it's not, it's not possible. Americans society not not structured to allow black racism to exist in the first place. Uh, black folks are, African folks can only be only be prejudiced or bigoted, but, they cannot, they cannot. but racism is, is simply is, is simply a, a ridiculous uh, concept. Relate to African people. African people don't have to set up in the society and actually actually carry that out. So I think it's just one of those things simply to, designed to muddy the waters.
3: Brother well, Jabari and then Moses, your response to the question of the issue of black racism?
7: You know, um there's a ter- another term that's in the coin too, in regards to targeting a certain segment of the black population called black, um, what is it black extremists? And you know, it's very black interesting. Black what- extremists. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's a I, I call the alphabet soup because no matter what letter of the alphabet you find, they find some new word that they use as a tactic to demonize and criticize. Um, those Africans that dare to course in the status quo will not just accept things as being the way they are because that's how they're supposed to be. so this continues in a long tradition in terms of how they're basically trying to silence um authentic black intellectualism in terms of trying to get them divided into the status quo through means of intimidation and suppression
3: and Brother Moses, your response to the so-called concept of black racism.
5: Well, um, I I refer people to a book by put out by um, Proletarian Publishers back in the 80s, I guess, uh, called "Marxism and the National Colonial Question" by Joseph Stalin, and um, he breaks down the whole movement and and how narr- narrow nationalism is not is, is is um is a uh uh undesirable trait uh and that uh um small nation small nation narrow nationalism and chauvinism is is uh is not to be equated to the chauvinism of the the nations that are in power uh and uh so it's, it's not a bigger it's a bigger threat, and therefore it's not it's a bigger concern uh, uh racism is is chauvinism ultimately uh it is a form of narrow nationalism and uh and to take criteria for to, to be what it takes to be a nation as a historically evolved community of people is a is uh is a scientific question that has to be analyzed and and concretely uh, explained and uh narrow nationalism tends to take a a trait just one or two of the characteristics of a nation and try to make that the whole the whole ball game, uh a race becomes a nation. Uh as opposed to a community of people and uh and uh anyway the uh, um racism and, and oppressed people as such as such as the africans in america uh this it's virtually impossible to be uh of of significant concern uh Martin Luther King said black power is just as dangerous as white power. Uh, I've, 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 I've yet to see uh, that up in the movies somewhere. I mean, I, I just haven't, I haven't seen it. Uh, but anyway, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother
3: Moses. To our listening audience, you listen to Africa on the move. We're going to pause for this call, and so when we come back, we're going to trans, trans, make a transition to our theme, our victories, and our struggles. And we hope to also have with us a special guest, Sister Tori, who will be on to share about her realities inside the U.S. So we're going to pause for the calls, and when we'll be back, you can join us at one three two three six seven nine zero eight four one. This is Africa on the Move. Down struggles. That was an article published uh, titled on July 26th, Cuba Has a Lot to Be Proud Of. It's by Bill Hackwell, and he wrote a really interesting article talking about the celebration of July 26th. We know Brother Anthony, and on July 26th, 1953, you mentioned earlier, the attack on the Mercado barracks inside of Cuba, Was a very significant event. Can you put that event in some kind of historical context in terms of the victories as a result of that initiation of fighting against and fighting for the people's liberation and freedom in Cuba? How did it transcend to the victories for humanity, Brother Anthony, as you read this article?
2: Well, um, well, I, I should, should mention that, that the attack on the Mancada on July 26, 1953, what, uh, what was one of the catalysts in the struggle for genuine Cuban independence. Of course, the struggle for Cuban uh, independence and sovereignty started with the resistance of the indigenous people Against uh, Spanish colonialism during the 15th, during the sixteenth century, the fifteenth and sixteenth centuries, when Columbus first set foot on uh, on uh, 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 um, um, Cuba, and um, and the indigenous people raised uh, waged uh, 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 a vigorous struggle, or overcome by uh by the mind of the Spanish military and were conquered, but only for a while because even when they brought in Africans to work the sugarcane and tobacco fields in Cuba, they too resisted uh, Spanish colonialism. And it culminated in sham independence in eighteen ninety eight. And between eighteen ninety eight and nineteen fifty nine, uh, Cuba was subject to 60, nearly 60 years of neocolonialism, and, uh, but the, but, but, the, but but the Cubans never relented. They kept organizing, kept struggling, and kept fighting uh, to build uh, the uh, you know the revolutionary society that exists today uh they were that that they've been able to minimize illiteracy, uh minimi- uh min- minimize uh hunger, uh and and child labor. They're still battling uh uh racism. But our brothers and sisters in Cuba have better tools with which to fight it than in most other pl- uh 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 areas of the diaspora. So uh as this article indicates, Cuba has a lot to be proud of.
3: Hey, brother Haki, we read this article. What are some of the things that not only Cuba has a lot to be proud of, but humanity in general? The Cuba sees itself as a reflection of struggling for the better for all of humanity.
4: Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. Um, I mean, Cuba does many outstanding things for the world, but the mere fact that its number motivation is the enhancement of human, of human beings, uh, six values in terms of the kind of humane value system, which is so uh, indicative of the Cuban system, and you got to, you can only applaud it. Uh, one thing you start talking about, uh, you know, sending you know uh, thousand, tens of thousands of doctors around the world, you know. Um, you know, to, uh, you know, to various countries around the world in terms of ensuring that their people have medical care. I mean, these values in terms that are thrust toward humanity, and it's got to, it, you can only employ it, uh, because it says that, um, this, it, what, it, what it says to, to, to the West in particular is that, you know, money does not determine, you know, one's worth here on the planet. That if you're truly human, then what you want to do is something that's humane and worthwhile. And so Cuba so much epitomizes that the desire in terms of our humanity trust and also in terms of education you know sending teachers around the world you know making sure that people who historically didn't have access to education well now they have access to education because it's human, human educators i mean so people doing a lot of great things around the human front humane front and so you know you only can you, you only can you only can you know encourage and support people because of the kind of things it stands for and, of course, it could take the position that, you know, that we're not concerned about humanity. You know, we're all about the bottom line to take that position. But, of course, to take that position, it would be anti-humane. But Cuba is very much humane. And so it, it affects itself in terms of not only how it treats the world, but also how it treats its own citizenry. It's really people to get to work together. And so one of the biggest antagonisms to the West, and particularly the United States, is that Cuba has this, this different philosophical uh, idea in terms of how society should be organized in that process, it creates a situation where human beings should be encouraged or conditioned or socialized to work together. And by working together, so much we can achieve. And one of the biggest threats to Western imperialism is that once you create this compulsion, this, this, this idea that people can work together to, to achieve, then imperialism is all over. And so this is why the U.S. in particular fights so hard in terms of just trying to destroy Cuba. But Cuba, given its given his history, given its principles, uh, given in terms of the kind of unity among its people, the U.S. is finding it increasingly hard in terms of trying to crack Cuba. They're working. They're doing everything under the sun, uh, legally, both legally and illegally, in terms of trying to crack Cuba, but despite it all, uh, Cuba persists in terms of you know projecting humane values.
3: You know, Brother Zabari, when you read this article, one of the things that Cuba has always played a major role in is a role in in the forefront of looking at issues in the future that may impact humanity. One of the issues, as far back in the early 80s, Peter Casco was talking about this global climate crisis. And he were talking about this whole question of the global climate crisis that will be taking place, and it's a major obstacle to the survival of humanity back in the early 80s. Now... If you look at the West, they still have a tendency to want to um, print the narrative that there are no such thing as global warming or global crisis. What do you make up Cuba's role in terms of always being the forefront of certain issues that are very important to you, humanity and particular issues that affect many people of color and oppressed class of people in the world?
7: Well, that speaks to its reputation that there are certain entities that are in opposition to what they offer in terms of sharing their gifts of knowledge and compassion, and then there are those who are opposed to that because if the people were to come to embrace that, then they can call into question what conditions they're living under, because who else do you know that offer a program where people can go at a much reduced cost and get medical school and then be sent to underserved communities to provide a good service for um, those that need it most. You don't see that in these westernized countries, which is so important, yet they talk about all these resources they have, and yet they use it to pillage, plunder, increase profit, where you're talking about a nation that believes in peace and tries to do that which will uplift humanity. And the perfect example of what you were saying is how they managed to cultivate that reef that people from all over the world study in, and it's amazing as you look at some of the recent more westernized um, countries continue to decay, this particular one is in excellent condition and offers great insights as to what could potentially happen if you were to really focus on helping to ensure that our water was protected and clean.
3: You know, Brother Moses, can you just speak to some of the victories that I can call off as it relates to Cuba, their accomplishment so far? And I'd just like for you to just speak to it. From your perspective, it talks about Cuba is rightfully proud to exploit doctors to help come back literacy and has medical brigades working in 66 six developing countries. Just as past week, Cuba's Latin American School of Medicine (ELAM) graduated another 500 doctors from 84 countries, most of whom received full scholarship. Okay, also in 1999, ELAM graduated nearly 30,000 doctors from 115 countries in the last 20 years or so, plus they have graduated 170 doctors from the United States, and their costs of going to the medical school were totally free. The only requirement they had was to come back and serve in their oppressive community. Now, when you talk about the World Health Organization reported that Cuba has nine doctors per thousand inhabitants where the United States only has 2.3 doctors per thousand. And Cuba Cuba Ministry of Health has just announced that Cuba, a country, 11 million people, has over 2,000 of its citizens who are right now over 100 years old. What do you make of these victories, Brother Moses?
5: Well, this shows you what the power of the people can do. Uh, People, you know, are... On a grassroots level, are organized and uh, and mobilized as as the issues come their way, and have dealt with them through conferences and and whatever it took, the meetings to have to come to a plan of action and how to deal with with the issues of the of of the day. And so, um, it takes a certain level of consciousness, the uh, desire to serve the people. As, as, which is the, the highest calling of a revolutionary, and uh, and uh, I don't know. I, I I'm amazed the Cuba the Cuba is still hanging tough uh, in spite of all the the super the, the U.S. government and and other governments in alliance with the U.S. pressuring them and uh, demonizing them uh they say power corrupts and uh and I don't I don't I haven't seen this corruption in the Cuban government as of as of my the best of my knowledge. And so, you know, I think it's it's a it's a definite uh uh study, 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 advanced workers study, study, study and turn themselves in the communists to be I Lenin, the Russian revolutionary. And uh I think, you know, the the educational system in Cuba must, must be pretty uh good and uh and so it's keeping the revolutionary fire burning and that's and that's all that's all we can ask for. Internationalism and, and solidarity with the workers of the world. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Anthony High I know y'all have had the opportunity to go to Cuba. And as I read this article, I was looking at a point they made within this article Well, I don't think they're giving Cuba the proper credit that it deserves. And I'd like for y'all to speak to this issue. It says that a Save Our Children report ranked Cuba as the safest country in Latin America to be a child. Now, I would argue not only just in Latin America, well, in most countries, including the West, y'all response to
2: that. I would say that's true because, because um, uh, in Cuba, unlike most countries in the world,
6: uh,
2: they, uh, you know, the children are able to be children. They're not exploited for their labor, and uh, and uh, you know, and education is free from pre-K post up, and uh, so you know the abuses of children you hear about uh, almost daily inside the U.S. are uh, you know do not occur in Cuba. You don't you you you, uh, you, you don't have uh, you know children working uh, uh, working in fields as soon as they can walk. Uh, you know, uh, you know, there's a high level of literacy Of course, it's not 100% Because, you know, you always have a certain amount of delinquency And, uh, you know, certain disabilities You know, that prevent, uh, you know, 100% being obtained But has a high level of literacy and uh, and uh, you know and 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 the and and, and, the, and the welfare of the people takes priority over money or or, or, or acquiring uh, you know uh, resources. so that so so that uh, you know that they, uh, so the condition of children in Cuba is probably better than, than in most other places in the world. As the father societies that are struggling to build socialism, like the Democratic People's Republic of Korea and Venezuela, for example.
3: Haki, your response.
4: Yeah, well, I, I think the, the thing is that the human society sees the kids, children as a future. And so one of the things you. you, you uh, uh, you uh, you uh, notice immediately. It's in terms of how they, the the interaction between adults and children, in terms of the kind of res- level of respect that the the adults have toward the children, and the expectation toward the children in terms of because of the future that they're treated in a way in which is very humane. And in addition to that, you got a situation where where you know what's expected. Um, you know that Cuba does a very good job in terms of teaching the citizenry. You know that we're all in this together. And if we're all in this together, then all of us uh, have an equal, co- uh, equal contribution in terms of making the society. And as such, sketch- uh, the government has a, a contra- has a has a situation for the people. The people have a situation for the government, and so therefore they seem, seem to work together. There, and I think the kids are the beneficiaries of such a policy, which you know, there's such such a close relationship between the government and its people. So I think the kids sort of benefit from that. I I, I think also one of the things is that there's a notion in terms of like in the West, there's a notion that some kids can't learn, some kids can learn where in include a position where all kids can learn and is reflected in terms of the kind of educational programs, the kind of methodology they employ in terms of educating their, their, their children. And as a consequence, kids get, their, get the notion, which gets reinforced over and over again, that, you know, we expect you to do well and you're going to do well because we're going to give you all the support we can give you. Now, in the contrast over the West in terms of the treatment of the, of the children, there's a lot of antagonism, a lot of hatred towards the children in Western society. In fact, the venom, uh, the, the, the victorals directed against children in the West, is just so palpable, I mean, it's just so obvious. No, okay. Where you go, whether you talk about America, Europe, Australia, wherever you go, when you get terms of the hostility toward children, it's amazing. I mean, it's it's very very clear. So Cuba doesn't have that, and I think it all starts with a, with a, with a, with a, with a, with the government, with the social system, political system, which says, you know, that all humans are of value and kids are of particular value because they are, in fact, the future. So I think there's no comparison between Cuba and the West. No, and and one so and one other thing I may add about Africa is one of the things interesting, you know, We talk about their safety back in terms of Cuba. Not only is safe for children, they're safe for anybody. Because you can walk the streets of Cuba any time of the night, and nobody's going to bother you. Nobody's going to bother you any time of the night. You don't have to walk the streets of America. I'm telling you, when you walk the streets of America at nighttime, you're on your guard. I mean, you really are. You're suspicious of any and everybody. You've got to be. Because the reality is that, you know, we're, we're, we're in a situation where we're taught that it's a doggy dog world. We're taught to only care about ourselves and not other people. And, of course, sworn have no quarrels in terms of putting a gun to your head and robbing you because they're taught that your life has no value. It's only about what they want. And so, therefore, Cuba tends to talk to philosophy in terms of governing human behavior, and it manifests itself in terms of, you know, you know how this society is organized. And so the kids, because they benefit from that, you know, um, you know, of course, uh, in a result, I mean, of course they benefit because they're in a society in which, you know, all of these 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 social stresses that impact children in the West is not an issue when it comes to Cuba. So I think that yeah, clearly, you know, kids are, you know, kids are kids in Cuba, are, are you know, uh, you know, uh, in, a, in a much better position relative to kids in the West because the Cuban government, the Cuban social political social system. And show us that.
3: And to add to your point, also, Hacky, I think I read some statistics in terms of how many people died. How many people died from a um, handgun or something is less than I think two a year at best. Well, you compare that to the United States, and there no comparison. Um, for Brother Jabari and Moses, can y'all respond to the narrative, which I found was very interesting? It says that. And UNICEF has declared that Cuba, despite the blockade, has no malnutrition. Cuba has eliminated malaria through its preventive health model. Cuba has estimated Cuba has eliminated mother-to-child HIV transmission. Let me repeat that: Cuba has eliminated mother-to-child HIV transmission. Cuba has invented a new drug that uh, that arrests lung cancer. Cuba infant mortality rate per 1,000 is four. Cuba life expectancy is close to 80. Social indicators better than any developed countries, including the U.S. And on and on and on. What does those victories uh, indicate to you, Brother Chabari?
7: It is indicative that there's a propaganda place. One that um, has two philosophical differences. Either you're going to be pro-humanity or you're going to be opposed to those entities which emphasize the importance of humanity over profit. Because clearly there are certain entities that are profit-driven and that's shown in terms of their actions and how they try to vilify those who... Everything they can to uplift humanity time and time again.
3: And Brother Moses, your response.
5: Certainly there's a there's a there's a definite difference between capitalism and socialism. There's a a whole people in in their walk of life within society, what they're used to. As opposed to the one percent who are used to a certain lifestyle that is different and a thinking pattern that is different, that's trying to protect its interests and maintain its status and its lifestyle. And so there's an antagonistic contradiction between the working class and the and the and the ownership of the country. And uh, this this. Gives us, you know, a whole, whole different attitudes. One is yes, and the other is no. Uh, it's, it's, just, it's no reconciling them. It's uh, so one has to overpower the other uh, in order to exist and maintain itself. And uh, so the working class is forced, is being forced into a position where in order to survive, it has to take control of the government and and wield it in, in its own interest. And uh, this is this is this is the situation which happened in Cuba and uh and we're still reaping the benefits of that of that mentality being in power in Cuba. And so, you know, the US of course is 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 heartbroken because right in this backyard is an example of communism. And, uh, and so we, you know, we have to know who our friends are and who our enemies are. Thank you.
3: So, Brother Afnan and Brother Haki, we, too, again, ask the question once again, why is there so much sustained hatred coming from consecutive administrations from U.S.?
2: What is your response to that question, Brother Anthony, and then Brother Hakeem? Sure. Um, I think uh, I think. Uh, let's see. The uh, Cuba represents an ideological threat uh, to the uh, to, to to the uh, to the social order prevailing inside the U.S. Uh, I mean, Cuba is a small island country. Uh, barely, uh, barely the size of New York State overall, but uh, but because they've chosen a socialist path of development, it represents a huge ideological threat uh, to U.S. imperialism, and also U.S. imperialism wants access to Cuba's resources and its labor and uh you know and uh you know as far back as the 18th century uh Th- uh thomas jefferson wanted to make cuba uh a part of the us so uh you know so i mean uh you know there there there's always been this segment among uh, uh, among the uh the us ruling class that has wanted to control Cuba And for the last 60 years They have not been able to do so when,
4: when well I think it's interesting When we talk about U.S. foreign policy We talking about a very small number of individuals Who actually control U.S. foreign policy We're not talking about a democratic system where people have input in terms of the policies that, uh, that emanate out of the country. We're talking about a very small number of people actually execute control and uh, in policy in the United States. In that context, we understand that because a small number of people are in control, uh, then the policy has been very, very consistent in terms of the kind of, uh, the kind of hatred, the kind of vitriol directed against Cuba. Not only is Cuba a fundamental threat ideologically, it's also a threat in terms of in terms of the national Board of the United States. Because once people begin to understand you know, that all of those this, nonsense that we've been taught in terms of what it is to be a human being, uh, once all of that gets, once, once people get the opportunity to see people for themselves, they begin to question in terms of a lot of the institutions that exist in America. And these institutions in America tell us that we have to be cool, we have to be ruthless, we have to be individualist, we have to be selfish, we have to be uncaring, we have to suit it bottom line with we, such further in which, which to the extent that life has no meaning. So once you go to a society, society not organized that way, and you look at people actually working and living together, people excelling intellectually, people actually uh, are creating, do, people doing great things scientifically, people doing great things medically, and you're saying, wow, how is it that these people can work together, get along together, you know, uh, share and care, create these wonderful interventions between the science and medicine, how is that possible? Because I was told in America, in the West, you only going create that in terms of the, the value systems laid down by, you know, Western institutions. So I think the threat is that they understand ever, but people We've come to understand that we're being sold a bag of goods, and a lot of the stuff that we talk about in America, in terms of what is so great about the West, we begin to understand that it's, it's, it's just fluff. It, it actually it, it creates it, actually a detriment in terms, of, in terms of the existence of, of not only Human, human, human beings generally, but a, a, a hindrance to human beings in a particular country. So I think Cuba sort of serves that contract in terms of getting people to understand that long-term interest of in humanity is best served by people working together uh, uh, building together, uh, people loving, caring, sharing. That Those are the best values in terms of the, 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 the longevity of society. In a society which perpetrates individualism, selfishness, greed, corruption, hatred, Division in a society it cannot stand. So the mere fact that for for over 400 years, you know, the uh, 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 the West has been outstanding in terms of its ability, in terms of actually, you know, forming this idea around the world that this is the way life should be, Cuba is exactly showing people that life doesn't have to be this way. So I think the West is running out of time. Increasingly, people begin to understand that a lot of those values that Cuba stands for, the kind of values which best serve the interests of humanity. And so, therefore, those, that small group of people who run US foreign policy understand that any government, irrespective of where it is in the world, that advocates a socialist form of government, to advocates, you know, sharing, caring, getting along together, caring for one another, any society that, that, that facilitates that is a threat to US interests because that means that inevitably the people in the United States and women say, listen, we want a system like Cuba got, we want a system like Venezuela got. We want a system like former Yugoslavia has we want a system like um, Singapore, we want a system like blah blah blah, and they understand that, and so therefore they, they see it as their interest in terms of destroying any kind of project rental project that that tends to uh 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 contrast um uh this whole concept in terms of what is right versus what is wrong, and of course, the United States being wrong and see being right
3: well, So, that to me, brother Haki, you're undermining the myth. That profit is not the only motivating force, or just making money is the only motivating force where people will create and produce. Is that
4: what you're saying to me? That's okay. that's that's exactly, that's exactly right. That's that, 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 that's 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 exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, because one of the things that when, when we talk about the oppression of people, we all oftentimes the oppressed have the same value system as those who are the oppression as your oppressor. So your process is that in order to have any value in life, then you have to have money. And so once we bind to that value system in terms of you got to have money, then you limit in terms of opportunity in terms of actually pro- progressing or doing things which is in the best interest of you or your community, simply because you bind the, to, the, to the value system of the broader society. So people say that, no, 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 no. The highest special of a human being is not accumulation of money. The highest pressure of human being is helping one another, which makes sense. Because think about it. Human beings never would have survived, you know, in the evolution of human beings coming out of Africa, never would have survived if it wasn't for the fact that human beings had to work together in order to survive. It wasn't in, It wasn't until, until 14th century Europe where they started talking about this whole notion in terms of even then— uh, this notion in terms of, you know, um, individualism, in terms this whole thrust in terms of, you know, it's all about greed and average. was the only recently in European history in which this, this actually became an issue. So now that this is a, a quantitative issue in terms of European philosophy, in terms of this whole notion in terms of being selfish and greedy, and it's all about the bottom line, even the European nations are beginning to understand you know, that this notion in terms of it's all about the bottom line, it's all about the money, uh, even now begin to understand how absurd that this is this is a simply an ideology that simply that simply won't stand and despite the fact that you kill i mean hundreds of thousands of people i mean on 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 a, on a monthly basis around the world there's nothing in terms of ensuring your longevity because the what's happening is that the world essentially understands that this nothing this this, 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 this is this nothing this, this, this about uh, how great it is in terms of being individually and selfish in pursuit of money, the more they become understand that, that that doesn't that doesn't signify what life is all about, the more they seek an alternative and that's what happened around the world. People are seeking an alternative to capitalism they begin to understand that the money, the bottom line is greed this self, the selfish average does by no such of imagination make you feel better about yourself as a human being. And so people begin to grab the that. And it is posing a fundamental problem for Western nations because even in the context of the Western world, people begin to understand that uh you know, that um that that these kind of value systems perpetrated by the West simply cannot stand. in.
3: You know, Brother Afflee, Jimari and Moses, I'd like to hear each one of y'all respond to this narrative. And the narrative is Cuba is not a poor country. If you're talking about the care of life expectancy of 80 is greater than the U.S., and when you look at all these medical um, treatments and inventions that Cuban people have developed, if you look at the security among these people and the safety, Cuba is not a poor country. Would you agree with that, Brother Anthony?
2: I would agree with that. Uh, I think. It does not, uh, of course, it does not have the the resources of uh, some of the capitalist countries. But, uh, but because, uh, but because it is go- governed according to socialist principles, chief of which is collectivism, uh, they they are able they share in the resources and the burdens. Of living, uh, 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 of living on that island uh, equitably. In other words, you don't have the disparity between rich and poor that you see in capitalist countries. And uh, and uh, and usually, when there are cuts made in the way in the allocation of resources, it involves everybody, not just one sector so uh so they uh, so the re- uh, what disparities exist, this is due to the consequence of Cuba having to live in an imperialist dominated world, and uh, the fact that there are expatriates that are able to send uh larger remittances uh to certain Cubans uh, than, uh, than, than 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 others. But uh but but generally uh let's see uh let let's see the accomplishments as well as uh, the difficulties are shared uh equitably among the the masses of the people.
3: Brother Jabari and Moses, the quality of life in Cuba for most of his people is a lot more better than the quality of life than most of us are living in the US. So, I don't see it as a poor country. Your response
5: brother Moses yes uh, life expectancy of at least eighty uh um um certainly it's, it's you know it's a good environment good conditions uh, to sustain life and so you know the quality of life there there's a cultural activities uh uh you know the government is interested in in educating its people. You know, is is what is what your dream the government should be. Thank you. Your response,
7: know, Bobby. I
4: can't compare Wolf Wolf's expression, but
7: the other thing in the same that doesn't make for a poor country doesn't make for one that is rich in the fervor and service. it promised others by selflessly giving time and time again when humanity needs to help the most. It's one of those fanning beings that always steps up no matter what.
3: Okay, so listen to listen audience and listen to Africa on the move, dealing with our theme today, our victories and our struggles. We just recently talked about some of the victories as it relates to the realities of Cuba And what we're going to do right now, we're going to pause for this cause. When we come back, we will continue to talk about our victories as we talk about 120 countries defending Venezuela at the Non-Aligned Movement Summit in Caracas. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move.
0: If you think Palestine Palestine. needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine Palestine. 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 needs her freedom.
6: freedom.
0: Palestine Palestine. Palestine. needs our love.
3: Our theme night, our victories, and our struggle, and we'll move on to a real interesting article um, published on the 20th of July. Title: 120 Countries Defend Venezuela at the Non-Aligned Movement Summit in Caracas. Rather high key. When we talk about Venezuela, when we talk about victories, I see this as a great victory not only for Venezuela, but all freedom-loving people. Where 120 countries have came together to support and recognize the legitimacy of the Maduro administration and government in the country of Venezuela. Speak to the central theme from this particular article in terms of why so many countries have decided to come forward and organize themselves into a tool that will fight for the interest of the sovereignty and legitimacy. Under Venezuela government and President Nicolas Maduro, rather high key.
4: Yeah, I, I, I you know, you know, in reading this article it was very it's it very gratifying, very uplifting to know that, you know, so many nations understand the the, the right to self determination. That is extremely important because one of the things we, we understand very clearly is that when you talk about US in terms of uh is, is might, it's very good in terms of bullying nations around the world in terms of carrying out its agenda. Uh, these 120 members of the non-aligned movement are saying to the U.S. clearly that we won't be intimidated, you know, by your tactics and that we're going to do what to do. Not only that, we're going to provide technical support to uh, Venezuela to make sure that Nicos Maduro, you know, uh, continues to his capacity as president of uh, Venezuela. So I think that is extraordinary. I think one of the things that also I think the, the non-aligned movement recognizes that if they can do that to Venezuela – they can uniquely, unilaterally decide who's the leadership of, a, of one country, they can do it to their country, and they fundamentally understand the reality. And so they're taking a stand and to the United States because we understand the reality. You know, we're going to make damn sure that Venezuela continues to be part of the United Nations because not only is in, in Venezuela's best interest to be part of the United Nations, it's not collective interest to be part of the United Nations. So I, I, I think that the mere fact that they they're, they're put aside their their petty uh, relationships with the United States and actually taking a principal stand speak values in terms of the changing ethos that exists that happening throughout the world and was people the to the United States government for the bully that it is and not will, will no longer capitulate to US interests and stand up and, and advocate that they have their own interest separate in apart from the United States. So I think the mere fact that they, 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 they understand the tactical significance in terms of, you know, working together to oppose and the United States gives values in terms of understanding, you know, that uh, they understand that U.S. historically have always used, you know, strategy and tactics to, to undermine countries and, and understanding and that understand that possibly they, someday they may come at them. And so, therefore, their, their, their strength is in numbers. And so by working together, they're sending a the clear message to the United States that we won't be, we won't be bullied.
3: Brother Anthony, out of hundred and ninety three countries, hundred and twenty of them have came to the aid and support of Venezuela. What is your take on on this particular um, phenomenon?
2: Uh well let's see, I concur with the points Taki made and I would add that uh, that uh, Venezuela since it's uh, since this revolution has contributed To the development of uh, of some uh, uh, of several of these non-aligned countries that have uh, that have shown support for the Socialist uh, uh, Party of uh, Venezuela and uh, and 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 Maduro's government, and I think and uh, you know and I think they recognize that and the fact that if. that if the U.S. could force a regime change like this, uh, you know, so blatantly in South Venezuela, uh, it could uh, it could happen to any of their countries, just as easily. And uh, so I think uh, so I think as, as a matter of principle, it is defending uh, you know the right of the Venezuelan people to choose their own government and not to have uh, a government imposed from outside, which is, a fact, a form of colonialism.
3: Mm-hmm. And Brother Moses, what you take from this article? What mm-hmm. lessons can we learn from this article, Brother Moses?
5: Well, uh, first of all, the, the non-aligned movement didn't just pop from the sky. The non-aligned movement... Is historically evolved uh, movement of countries that are organized in response to uh, the situation in the world, a political economy that was penetratingly analyzed by Mao Zedong and divided into three worlds and talked about the superpowers, the Soviet Union and the USA, colluding and continuing for fears of influence and that basically there were two camps, the Soviet camp and the U.S. camp. And so there was the second world, Europe, and the developed countries, and then the third world, Asia, Africa, Latin America, and people of color. Uh, And so, you know, the non-aligned movement was a response to that ultimately, that condition, not just what he said, but the condition that actually existed, and they they were non-aligned to the Soviet Union or to the USA. They were not in either camp. At one point, uh, uh, Fidel Castro was the president of the non-aligned movement. Uh, 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 so, so this has always had a certain amount of revolutionary character to it, and uh, and so it's good to see that they are continuing that that tradition of resistance to hegemony by the US government and and uh and refuse to be as lackeys. And this is this is good news. Thank you. You know,
3: Brother Haki, one of the things when we talk about this ongoing battle and war against Venezuela is how the US and the West have historically used these um economic warfare that they call blockades to try to stop country to death speak to the impact of blockades and are they not just another form of war but it's just a little more subtle and less overt
4: well uh, according to UN international law blockades is in fact an act of war in fact when the justification for going to war is when someone imposed a blockade on you so it 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 is against the law it is a criminal act it is an act of war uh, but the, the thing is that, you know, one thing you have to respect, you know, uh, about Cuba, you know, they realize it's a criminal activity. They they, act, they recognize it's an act of war, but they also recognize that they're doing a good thing in terms of building, you know, great things in Cuba. And you know, therefore, one of the things they certainly don't want at this juncture is a is war, because it would sort of distract them from doing what they're doing. They're on a road to building solid uh, socialism, and so therefore they don't want anything that's going to distract them. But clearly, the U.S. emphasis impetus about you know blockade clearly is it, it, it has it has implications of, of war. I mean, very very clearly, and they understand that. One of the things they want to do, is they want to provoke uh, Cuba into actual war. And so, um, yes, is so you're absolutely correct, brother Africa. So it's all of, it's all about trying to to implement war, you know, in, 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 in a subtle kind of way. Uh, but one of the things also when we talk about blockades, brother Africa, we got to be very clear. When we talk about blockades. Not only is the impact you know adverse to impact nations like Cuba, it also impacting impact the United states you know and, and one of the things you know is that when we talk about blockade specifically we talk about um uh let's 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 talk about uh policy as it relates to trade, which is thought sort of, which is sort of a blockade blockade by different name uh, one of the things when as I alluded to before when we talk about trade with China, one of the things is this trade policy in the United States they have devastating impact on the u s economy. And, and the only reason why they persist with this with this with this, with, this, with this with this with this policy is because of xenophobia, the whole thing is to, to crucify the Chinese. And if they say they want to crucify the Chinese by in, in, by, uh, by actually imposing, you know, uh, you know, this trade policy, but what they're really doing is they're destroying U.S. economy. But they can't come out and say that because small in country, that small group of individuals who control this this country position is that. You know, it's all it's all about our interests. And so, therefore, if we can, even if we're suffering, as long as the ruling class is not suffering, then everything is okay. And everything is, 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 is status quo. So, clearly, when we talk about blockade, Brother Africa, we understand that there is a, a negative correspondence in terms of interworking right in America. And so, therefore, blockade doesn't serve anybody's interests other than in, in, in the, in the elite. Uh, other than that, it doesn't serve the interests of the citizenry.
3: And, Brother Afton, we just let you speak to other issues that you may have gotten from this article that would be of significance for our listener audience to know about. Brother After.
2: Uh Yes, certainly. Uh, well, I, uh, among other things, uh, the non the alignment movement, uh, you know, as Brother uh, Moses in, uh, alluded to earlier. Consists primarily of those countries that chose not to be part of either uh, major power bloc, and uh, and a lot and a substantial uh, number of those countries are in Africa, some are in Asia, and uh, some are in Central and South America, and uh, and the, and the thing and several of them were part of the nations of the South. Uh, One of the things that Venezuela has worked towards is forming a closer bond with those countries in the Southern Hemisphere, particularly uh, those in Africa. And uh, a lot of those uh, countries came out in support of Venezuela at this summit. So I think that's something that people should bear in mind when they uh uh when they read this article for themselves. That uh that uh that, that 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 a lot of a lot of countries in Africa are behind uh you know uh Venezuela. And um you know and uh you know and I think as uh as uh you know countries get better organized and throw off the yoke of neocolonialism, it'll get stronger.
3: And Brother Hackey, any you know, other points you'd like to raise when we move forward to our next article?
4: No, no, no additional points.
3: Okay, I would like to say this in terms of how victory is coming from Venezuela. The article highlights that it is also reported that the Puerto Republic of Venezuela will be country in charge of coordinating this technical group. Likewise, the Member States also approved the support of the candidacy of the Caribbean nation for the presidency of the UN Human Rights Council, whose election will be in October. So we hope they get that, that, that position and once they acquire the position, I hope they be in a better position really speak to this whole question of human rights and who are the real validators. The human rights, which we know U.S. is leading that category. Panelists, I read last response to the question of if two-thirds of the world is in support of Venezuela, why are the American people in inside America so backwards and on the wrong side of the fence as relates to the reality of Venezuela? Panelists, how can we correct that that, that misunderstanding and that lack of political sophistication among the people inside the border U.S.
5: I
4: think well, the U.S. Be- oh, go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Go ahead.
2: No, I, say, I think I think that uh, the imperialist media has a lot to do with that. There's a lot of this, uh, disinformation about Venezuela that is circulated inside the U.S. and a misunderstanding of uh, of what's going on there. And also, I think the racism that pervades U.S. society is another
6: factor. Uh,
2: and, um, you know, and uh, and that's uh, – and also, the, uh, you know, the, the imperialist forces are doing a, a, a good job of pitting different sectors of the Venezuelan population against each other, which hinders Venezuela's own development. Uh, But uh, let's see, but I think primarily it is uh, disinformation and also the lack of uh, understanding about what socialism is that confuses people, you know, in this country.
4: You know, you, you know, we, we, we can't underscore enough the, the, the level of ignorance that exists in American society. You uh, have got to give the ruling class, you know, some props. But they did a very good job in terms of ensuring a condition of people, you know, not to want to know anything, um, not, you know, not only not wanting to know, but to, to essentially shut down when you have any kind of discussion around those things in which, quote-unquote, uh, are not important to you per se. Uh, so I, I think, to some extent, you know, when we talk about the ignorance surrounding Venezuela it has a lot to do with the fact that most Americans have no idea in terms of what's going on in Venezuela. You ask most Americans who's going in Venezuela, they couldn't tell you. Uh, and, and you know, and and, and you got to credit that to the institutions inside of America in terms of ability to condition people, you know, to be you know anti-intellectual, and that's what it's all about. Uh, and, and strange enough in American society, not only do you find the intellectualism among working-class working people, but you also find among middle-class and the so-called elite, you have this, this string of anti-intellectualism. So I think it might account to a large extent why there's this apathy toward what's happening in Venezuela. Because if you look at what's happening in Venezuela in terms of just from a hum, humane perspective, one of the things that you, when you ask yourself, would I want to live under similar circumstances? As, as a person born in America, would I would I want to be subjected to some foreign power telling, you know, discounting, you know, my right to vote, or simply affirming, you know, who is to run my country versus is, you know, the, versus the, the, the popular vote in a particular country in terms of who should run a country. So well, I think just on a humane level, if you really understood, you know, um, the situation in Venezuela then you would have to say, listen, what's going on is fundamentally wrong, and, and it, it's wrong. It's criminal. But if, because in America there's so much anti-intellectualism, I, I don't think uh, you know people even think about it. Aside from the proper question of propaganda, of course, propaganda does impact a lot of Americans. I mean, that's, that's, that's what the U.S. is due. It's one of the most advanced propaganda systems in the world. That's no question about it. And it's very, very good in terms of conditioning people, you know, uh, or deceiving people around issues. Uh, it's very easy to convince people uh, that do uh, somehow is an enemy of humanity, is an enemy of the and people. It's very easy to do that. It's such a complex, you know, propaganda machine that does exist. I think about lot now. The larger problem is the, and the intellectual strain that exists in American society. But people don't want to know, but there's no desire to know. And so as long as you have a desire, which I don't want to know, and the U.S. is going to continue to wage all kinds of criminal criminal activity around the world, under the guise of uh, you know what's in the best interest of in America, without the American people even understanding one iota in terms of what they're doing in their name. So I, I think it's a very complex issue for the African in terms of this kind of apathy that exists among American populace. Why is the U.S. government committing all these atrocities around the world, and there's no response from American people? Why is, it in, why is it in France you can have the Yellow Vest people come together and say, listen? These kind of inadequacies that we're confronted with on a daily basis kind of indignities that we're no longer going to suffer with this. We're going to stand up. Why can't we have that in America? Well, I think in America, there's a greater amount of anti-intellectualism compared to a place like France, where people actually think about things, where people see things, actually think about things. In America, it's a different ballgame. So I think that in addition, in in conjunction with the propaganda, you create a human being that's almost... uh, 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 a, a human being suit suited you know uh, uh, perfectly you know uh, to support, uh, support U.S. policy U.S. policy, without even understanding what U.S. policy is so I think it's a very complex issue Brother Africa
3: Brother Moses what is about the people in America being put in a position to be on the wrong side of history where the majority of the world is on the correct side of history when
5: it come to the rec-, rec recognize the Venezuela legitimate government, government and president. Well I think um, I think President Trump summed it up correctly when he was talking about uh, the Congresswoman uh uh I can't remember my name right offhand, but sister and he was saying she hates America basically uh, she thinks it's fundamentally flawed more or less with his word that it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's it's the institution is is corrupted it's 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 wrong and has always been wrong and uh and um uh, and, uh, and that's that's really the issue i mean how do people see the government of the United States of America and its function since its inception you know uh some people see its inception at the counter Revolution of 1776, and cetera, and that that uh, you know it's done nothing but enslave people, and it's and it's still a uh, capitalist order that's imperialist and fundamentally on on bad soil uh, uh, in the sense of of you know you you can't get blood from a turnip, but you it's, you expect uh. That basically, the U.S. government won't change its colors, and it's always going to be the way it is. And that's—he understands that viewpoint, or at least he, he knows that viewpoint exists, etc. And he's trying to run against it and and make it the uh, make it the demonized viewpoint, and uh, he's bringing it up in order the to get the masses. Uh, uh, riled up and against that viewpoint. And uh because he's he's a he's he's determined there won't be socialism in the US of base And so, you know, you just apply that whole mentality and look out around the world and apply it to the rest of the world and you get situations like Venezuela where he's for regime change. I mean uh, the US government's propaganda machines is able to report what he what he says and and uh, perpetuate it in all the news media and uh, build it up as the gospel and, and so um, people buy into it. They're just doing their everyday job and uh, working and paying the rent and and trying to trying to have a good weekend or whatever and. Uh, people don't 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 have any any understanding of, of who he is and what it's all about and where he fits in history and this is this is a fundamental political consciousness uh problem in the u s of a and uh you know that was the issue in the sixties to get people politic, raising the political consciousness of the, of the mass of the people and it's still the issue today.
3: Thank you. You know, panelists, I would like to get your response to this narrative that America's America often talks about how it's the greatest democracy that ever existed. How it has open society, it's freely allowed information to be um to be accessible. But yet the American people are the least informed or at least about welfare and the most black people. How can these two contradictions exist in the same space and time, Brother Haki, Anthony,
4: and Moses? Very, very simply, Brother Africa, it's not a democracy. So when we talk about the fact that American, most American people are black, they ignorant or, or ill informed of what's going on in the world, it's not a democracy. Democracy is for the people, by the people, for the people. And it's not that. If The preamble of the Constitution, the thing that states very, very clearly is that the U.S. is not a democracy, it's a republic. And those who understand what a republic is, what it means, that those people who are landowners, those people who are wealthy, the ruling class, they run the country for their benefit. It has nothing to do in terms of any concern for the masses of citizenry, you know, here in America. So we have to understand that it's not a democracy. And so because it's not a democracy, the ruling class does what it does simply because it perceives them as best interest. What is in his best interest? Keeping the American people ignorant. Keep them conditioned. Keep them programmed. Keep them to the point where not only they don't know what's going on in the world, they don't want to know what's going on in the world. That's all part of social engineering. That's all part of what the ruling class does. And so they understand it's not a, repub- it's not a republic. And one of the things that politicians talk about. They talk about an elective democracy. It's a pretty this word, this word, word on this play on words. An elected democracy. What the what the hell is the democracy? Somehow, if you vote for the congressman and the senator, that you got democracy. That's not democracy. But it's one of the things they do because they understand that it's a republic, and the South American people understand it's a republic. That's the way conceivable for people you know uh to 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 get together organized around trying to create a real democracy but until then the republicans will do what the do does. does. that is maintain control at all costs
3: well Anthony?
2: yeah um i uh as climate Trey pointed out. Uh, during, uh, during the late 50s and early 60s, it was the African youth that put the myth of American democracy to rest. Because uh, so the U.S. likes to brag that it, that, that it didn't have colleagues that, that it has all these freedoms and whatnot. Yet, y- y- yet, y- yet the oppression of the African masses was there for everybody to see. Even, uh, even from the U.S. media. There were demonstrations against uh, the racism and Jim Crow, uh, from which South uh, the South Africa regime got the practice of apartheid from. And every settler colony that exists in the world today studied what was going on inside the U.S., and uh so the u s. is the ultimate settler colony. I mean it it is stolen land from the indigenous people here and brought Africans to labor. And the problem has been is that our historical memory is very short. And uh, so we you know uh, so uh, so we're easily manipulated, and uh, we have to fight against that. And I would add that uh, another uh, factor in terms of uh, the U.S. uh, wanting to control Venezuela is that it wants to control the mineral resources and the labor of Venezuela for its own interests. And it's the same reason why it wants to destroy the Cuban revolutionary process. Okay,
3: panelists, we're going to take a quick station break, and when we come back, we'll each one of y'all give and listen to all these your family thoughts for the night. You'll listen to Africa on the Moon. Get up, stand up, stand up for your
1: rights. Get up, stand up, stand up for your rights. my
5: Such that uh, there's still the superpower. The U.S. Is, a, is now a lone superpower. Russia, I mean, the Soviet Union is, was dissolved, and the economic might of that of that uh, uh, state machinery is no longer there. And uh, so we have, but there's still the developed countries uh, which Soviet Union falls I mean the Russia falls within within that now. And uh and then there's the bottom of the Rung which is the third world age after Latin America and people of color and and terms the money is is being sucked up and and uh oppression is is coming down. And uh you know, we have to we have to see the world uh as soon as possible and understand as soon as possible what's going on in the world if we're going to fight and, uh, and overcome our oppressor. And, and so that's that's why uh, theory is so important. Anyway, I've I, I enjoyed the show. Thank you, and have a good night.
3: Thank you, Brother Moses, for your contribution to today's program. We now go with Brother Afton. Brother Afton, your final thoughts for tonight.
2: My final thought for tonight is that uh, victory is possible, but only if our people get organized. Organization is very critical, and that presupposes unity, and unity based upon a common uh, objective of achieving pan-Afghanism. And to learn more about that, please visit our website at www a dash aprp dash dot org. There you can learn more about our objective and the history of the All African People's Revolutionary Party GC. Thanks.
3: Thank you, Brother Henry, for your contribution to today's program. Next we'll go with Brother Hackey. Brother Hackey, your final thoughts for the night.
4: Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, African Awareness Association, we're doing a solidarity tour to Cuba. We'll be going on the trip October 31st to November 6th. More information, you must call 804-549-7492 or code 202-714-9435 or email us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number 2 at gmail.com. We encourage people to go to Cuba and see for themselves firsthand how Cuba is such a marvelous place to, to live and to be. Uh, my, my statement for the brother Africa, is that you know one of the things that we, we talk about just how precarious the system is, particularly the economy. Uh, recently, I read an article where the IMF is even advising people not to invest in this economy. The economy is doing so poorly that the the belief is that investing in this U.S. U.S. economy is like throwing away money. For instance, they talk about the fact that um, uh, the the banks are heavily indebted. There's a situation where the bond market, where the bond prices are inverted. Historically, when you, when you, when you think about bonds and investing invest in the U.S. government, uh, long term bonds tend to give you a higher interest rate. But what's happening now, that's not happening. Short term interest rates give you better interest rates than long term bond rates. And therefore, it fundamentally means the government's in trouble in terms of borrowing money or financing its debt. So clearly, there's a lot of problems in, in the United States, and and one thing I keep on trying to get people, I hope people begin to understand, is that this is all happening behind the scenes. And as the economy collapses, someone must be the scapegoat. I think, in the context of American society, we understand who the scapegoat is going to be. Right now, it's the immigrants uh, or and, or Muslims. So you can you can you can bet your bottom dollar that in the, in the, in the final analysis. The state is going to be the African message here in North America. So we have to understand the reality and keep by the business of building institutions. And as always, I encourage people to unravel the matrix because this is very serious out here. And having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good day.
3: And to your last point, Brother Haki, I think there's a book that will complement your last point by Samuel Yeti called A Choice. It'd be wise for people to read that book. And on that note, we'd like to thank everyone for their participation. We'd like to thank the listening audience for allowing us to come to their homes where we can speak truth through power. And we will continue part two next week on our victories and our struggle. So we leave you with the words of wisdom from Brother Kwame Ture, and we'll see you next week. Let's fight the power of remember. Pan-Africanism is the key. It was set uh, African-free. So let us all join in and fight for Pan-Africanism. We'll see you next
8: week. You're one black man who went to a good, essentially white high school in the city of New York. That's you right. obviously had had a good education. That's a good many of the people who work with you here in SNCC can say the same thing. And we're saying that... And you're a black man who came from a New York ghetto.
9: And we're saying that there's a system that allows for one or two black people to get out. And that that's the rationale for keeping other black people down. And it has nothing to do
8: with the unwillingness or inability of the Negro to help himself and to work hard. That's
9: the rationale, that the reason why black people aren't this is because they're lazy, unambitious, stupid, have rhythm, and they eat watermelon.
8: You call on the black man to refuse to respond to his draft call.
9: That's correct. And we will continue to do so while there's breath in our bodies.
8: Do you really believe that the military policies of the United States are designed to exterminate the black man, as you've said? I most certainly do. I look at
9: the recent statement by racist McNamara, who says that 30 percent of the people that are going to be drafted now under his new system are going to be black people. And that's nothing
8: more than black urban removal. The white liberal who supported civil rights for so long with time and effort and money. What is your feeling about him?
9: Well, I think that... there's no reason why they should stop supporting the movement now. I certainly feel that if they're genuinely interested in black people, and since black people have charted a course, they believe in that program. They will continue to give to it. They need more white people to civilize whites. They need them to civilize the savages in Cicero who throw rocks and bricks at a peaceful and lovable black man like Dr. Martin Luther King, who would not even hurt a fly. Well, that's very important, because our uncles and our fathers and our older brothers died in World War I fighting Nazism to protect the Poles and those same Poles turn around and throw rocks and bricks at us after we died to save their lives and people talk about we are savages
8: Mr. Carmichael if you had the chance to stand up in front of the white community and say anything you desired say to him understand me white man what would you say? I would say understand yourself white man
9: that the white man's burden should not have been preached in Africa but it should have been preached among you that you need now to civilize yourself you have moved to destroy and disrupt you have taken people away you have broken down their systems and you have called all that civilization and we who have suffered at this are now saying to you, you are the killers of the dreams. You are the savages. Yes, it is you who have always been uncivilized.
6: Civilize yourself.